watches a scary movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night, audio version at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can find that on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Just search T Watches a Scary Movie. And if you're looking at this handsome face, that means you're watching the video version. Video version can be found on YouTube at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. So, what do we have to talk about tonight? We are uh, well, well, well deep into September. It is uh, the 21st night, September. Had to do that uh, because uh, some of y'all might know I also work as a DJ uh, for one of my jobs as well, too. And I've had uh, three weddings so far in the past week. And I still got more to come. And obviously, September's a big song. So it has nothing to do with horror in the least bit. I'm just saying. Uh, either way, now, it is the 21st of September here. And uh, we got some fun stuff to talk tonight. We are going to be talking the invitation in movie reviews. And we got a little bit of horror news for y'all tonight as well, too. Which, first things first, I want to get right into the Hellraiser trailer. Yeah, folks, if you did not see it, uh, if you've been living under a rock somehow, uh, Hulu has been well, well, well into making a uh, new adaptation of the Hellraiser franchise, a new entry. And here's the thing, you know, it could be a reboot. It could be a sequel. We don't really have to distinguish that too much. All we know is that this is the most high-profile Hellraiser release that we've had in probably 15 to 20 years at this point now. And folks, the uh, what I assume is the final trailer was just released here earlier this week, and it looks amazing. Absolutely amazing, folks. And this is coming from a guy who is not... Uh, that big of a Hellraiser fan. Not that I don't like Hellraiser. I, I really do enjoy Hellraiser for sure. But um, as I've gotten older, uh, gore just has not sat that well with me. And I still watch gory movies, but it's like one of those, gotta like go through the eyes, gotta turn away and everything now. And um, Hellraiser is the worst of the worst uh, when you really think about it now. Because uh, besides all the many ways that like victims have been killed across the course of that series, we know at the end of the day, Pinhead, our guy, the main Cenobite, that man is using the chains and the hooks. And it's basically like if someone wanted to kill you with a bunch of fish hooks now, uh, it's painful, it's gruesome, it's, uh, it's cringe, uh, it's fantastic, but your boy has trouble dealing with that. And I've been kind of counting down the days for this to uh, for this to like to come out because it's coming out October seventh on Hulu as part of their annual Halloween celebration, and ah, oh, it looks amazing, folks. And think about it like this: I've talked before about how in the Hellraiser series, I actually really enjoy a lot of the later entries more than the earlier ones, just because. In the later entries, we got a lot of well-known directors like Scott Derrickson showed up to do one, um, to where. It's basically a story that's not really a Hellraiser story, but then we just put the Cenobites and Pinhead in it, and then we go from there. Um, basically, everything after like Hellraiser 4 was kind of like that, to where it's just a random story that probably would have been perfectly fine without Pinhead and the rest of the Cenobites, and then they put them in there, and it just clicks, and it works so well together. Now, that said... I do enjoy the, uh, the the you know the first four of the series as well too that are really really focused on um, on uh, Christy Cotton and uh, you know Pinhead together and all that stuff now, and we have no idea 
with this next one is coming uh, coming from here. Because here's the thing. We know for a fact that this is going to be uh, Pinhead's Returning, played by Jamie Clayton from Sense8. And the thing is, is that we don't know, is this the same Pinhead? Is this just another iteration? I don't know if it matters that much, because it's not like we've had much in the way of continuity across most of the Hellraiser like movies that have been out there. Like the first two, for sure, they focus on Christy Cotton. We get Christy back later on, and I believe it's the sixth entry, I want to say it is, she comes back and plays a role in that as well, too. But the thing is, is that unlike a lot of these other horror series, we haven't really had to rely on the continuity between them. So I don't think it would be that bad to just say this is another random occurrence where somebody finds Lament configuration, that's the puzzle box, and they open it up and all hell breaks loose. But it looks tremendous, y'all. Looks bloody. Uh, we even saw the Chatterer is back. The Chatterer Cinebite is gonna be back in this one as well too. But oh my God, uh, y'all can see this the clips I'm putting up here for it. You gotta go and watch this full trailer because we only really have a couple weeks and then this bad boy is coming out and it's about to wreck some fucking lives, y'all. Uh, I've already said that I'm not ready for it. I'm ready for it, but I'm not ready for it in the least bit because it looks so fucking good. And that's amazing uh, because it's just showing him the power that these days, uh, direct to streaming isn't a bad market at all especially for horror that is one of the places where horror can absolutely thrive at so let's hope this does well uh because i think it's inevitable we'll get sequels but the question is what will the quality of those sequels be will they be like it's been in the recent like 10 to 15 years now to where they're they're kind of lower budget maybe the story's not as grand we don't know but I'm definitely hoping that this movie works out so well that we can get some good quality sequels to follow it up. Who knows? But only a couple weeks away. Next, uh, we got some gameplay footage on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that's coming out, folks. Uh, perhaps you've heard me talk about that before. Coming from the same people who brought us the Friday the 13th video game, which is absolutely one of my favorite games of the past 20 years, mainly because I'm a Friday the 13th fanatic, uh, but also just because the gameplay is super, super fun. The fact that you can have so many camp counselors together up against Jason and still get your ass whooped now is so much fun. And the idea of this Texas Chainsaw Massacre game is that they're going to change the format from what we're known from games like Friday the 13th or uh, from Dead by Daylight to where it's usually like one versus four or one versus another number there to where now, yeah, we still have the the four, the four uh, like uh, uh, victims that you could play as. But now on the villain side, you have three. You have a team of three there. And of course, that consists of the cook, the hitchhiker and Leatherface. And man, they dropped the gameplay video for that today. And y'all, this game is gonna slay. That is the only phrase I can give for it because it looks so, so good. Some of the details were revealed there that the victims are gonna start off in the basement of uh, Leatherface's house. Uh, and I'm hesitant, hesitant to say the last name because I don't know if we're going Sawyer, if we're going Hewitt, whatever it is here. But you start off in the basement of Leatherface's house. And the goal is to escape because you can't defeat the family. Unlike Friday the 13th, this is not one of those times where you can actually beat the villains. You have to escape and get out alive. And 
And some of this video play, man, it's gonna be scary, y'all. It's gonna be so exhilarating and so exciting to play. And I don't know who I'm gonna enjoy playing as more because it actually seems like there's gonna be some legitimate scares here playing as the victim, which is an experience that we don't get that much even in horror games. Like with Friday the 13th, that game can absolutely get the better of you um, if you're playing as one of the camp counselors and Jason just randomly like warps to where you're at. Oh, that can definitely be scary. But something about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just a little bit more scary knowing it's a very, very much a confined environment. Like we're not in a camp at this point. As far as we know, there are going to be other maps. But as far as we know, we're at the uh, we're at, at Leatherface's house. And in, you know, the surrounding area. And that's not that big. And I don't mean that to say that to crap on, like, the level design or anything like that. But it's very enclosed. It's probably going to be a very claustrophobic feeling. And the fact that Leatherface or the Hitchhiker or the Cook could just be around the corner. Ooh, that, that looks scary as hell. Uh, Wes Keltner, give me the beta. I want to be a part of the beta for this. Because this game looks absolutely amazing it's a day one purchase for sure and again y'all can see some of the clips i'm putting up here for it now you gotta check this out because if you're a fan of these asymmetrical multiplayer horror games then this is the one this is the one that you're definitely gonna want to get into and again all i can do is push you to try out uh friday the 13th before this game comes out here because it does look like it's gonna be coming out uh spring 2023 is kind of where it's seeming like it's coming out for um it would be nice if we could have gotten a surprise texas chainsaw massacre movie to go right alongside with it like the netflix one that we got that was super super fun this year uh but we'll see we'll see uh what ends up happening with that but y'all gotta check it out go to ign to check out like the full gameplay video that's up here right now so with that, let's get into our movie review of the night. Uh, Y'all know we are well underway here into the horror season. Uh, I the, I always start it beginning of September. September 1st is the day, and some of y'all have been tuning in for the movie marathons we've been doing. We actually just got done doing our vampire movie marathon just the day before. We watched some great ones, uh, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, What We Do in the Shadows, A Girl Walks Home Alone at night amongst others but we also watched the invitation now some of you have probably seen the trailer for that because the invitation came out back in august and a lot of folks saw it and were very much comparing it to 2019's ready or not and you might remember ready or not that told told the story of samara uh, samara weaving's character grace ladomas uh, who's getting married to her new beau, uh, Alex, and finds out that uh, the family plays a new game every time that somebody is brought into the family uh, as a way to keep their wealth and fortune. And uh, I can't really go further than that, 10-year rule and all there. Um, but if you watch it, it is a hoot. It is a ball of fun. It is fantastic. It's a great spooky season watch now. Um, and funny enough, it is made by Radio Silence, the guys, uh, the, the team that made um, uh, uh, Scream, Scream 5, which was a phenomenal film that came out at the beginning of this year as well. So you wouldn't be remiss if you saw the trailer for The Invitation and got uh, flashbacks of Ready or Not for it, because that's the way that it very much seemed. The story tells of uh, Natalie Emanuel's Evie Jackson who uh, has no family. She's living in New York, and 
Um, again, she's just trying to get by. She works as a server at a lot of these like high, uh, high profile, very rich and swanky events uh, where she's largely ignored and harassed by her customers. And uh, due to a chance circumstance where a friend of hers takes a grab bag from one of these events, she decides to do one of those DNA tests like 23andMe or Ancestry.com to see if there happens to be anybody else out there uh, in her family because she's lost her mother, she's lost her father, and she's just looking for somebody to connect with. And this is when she's introduced to her cousin, Oliver, uh, who basically explains that she has a whole wide extended range of family members who live overseas in London and that all of them are overjoyed to learn of her existence and they all want to meet her. And Evie is whisked away to, uh, to overseas to Europe to where she doesn't go and attend this wedding uh, that Oliver and the rest of the Alexanders are also attending on the estate of Walter DeVille. Now, uh, there are some giveaways right off the back now. With a name like DeVille, there's an obvious uh, connection there that I'm sure y'all can pick up in Cruella. Uh, and no, this is not a Disney movie. There's no actual like connection, but that was always the thing that, you know, DeVille, devil, obviously. And as we see this story of the unassuming Evie, uh, Evie's honestly in a bit of a better position than, uh, uh, than uh, 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 Grace ended up being and ready or not because ready or not is very much played uh played up the comedic aspects of it to start and throughout the film and i don't say that negatively but it takes a while for grace to realize that something else might be going on and she might not be in the safest position uh the safest position as the game begins and people start to die whereas with the invitation Evie, for the most part, suspects that something could be going on. Like, she sees the way that, uh, you know, some of the higher-end staff, for example, um, uh, Mr. Field, who, uh, again, a very, very telling name once we get to that part. Uh, but Mr. Field is rude to some of the wait staff, and Evie, coming from, you know, the working class, obviously doesn't respect that. And then when Walter DeVille, you know, the owner of the estate, played by Thomas Doherty, shows up, uh, again, you know, she's trying to put some manners into him as well, too, because this is obviously a man of wealth, a man of privilege, and is used to doing things however they want to, and not really having to think twice about it. And he's very much taken aback by Evie's, like, he uh, headstrong nature and the fact that, you know, she's very, she's very straight, she's very forward about what she thinks, and she's going to say what she wants to say as well, too. Now, over the course of the invitation, the question always is, is, you know, Whose wedding is she there for? Because we seemingly are keeping missing glances of this bride and this groom. So we don't know whose wedding she's actually there for, but things begin to get weirder and weirder. Well, weirder, excuse me, as some of the wait staff begins to disappear. And during a spa session, you know, Evie pricks her finger while getting her nails done. And uh, one of the ladies of the house sucks her fingers. And that leads to the surprising and scary revelation that Evie is dealing with vampires. Now, hopefully that's not a huge spoiler to the rest of you because I'm fairly positive that was told in the trailer for this. But the thing is, is that I don't know if that's a strong enough twist, so to speak, to really, uh, to really power this movie through. And I want to say this from the jump. 
I enjoyed this movie. I did enjoy The Invitation, but I would be lying if I said that in comparison to Ready or Not, I liked it just as much as I enjoyed Ready or Not, or definitely more, because that was not it in the least bit. The stories are eerily similar in the setup and the execution of it, but the difference is, is that Ready or Not got to things really quickly. You know, um, the invitation is, uh, it's 104 minutes long. You know, it's not that long there. And Ready or Not is 95 minutes. So it's about 10 minutes less, about an hour and a half for Ready or Not versus, you know, an hour 40, hour 45 for the invitation. And yet and still, Ready or Not kind of chops up that runtime very very quickly you know we get the exposition out of the way very early on very quick in a short amount of time and then as the movie keeps going through we keep getting those tidbits of information with it whereas the invitation um you know my good friend eric mentioned this but it kind of it kind of felt like two two entirely different movies being told in one film to where the first movie is like this thriller like it's this um it's this erotic uh, suspenseful thriller to where this girl's a fish out of water and she might find she might have found love but there's a dark secret that might be stopping this from going anywhere uh, the way that she wants it to but then we we change gears and suddenly it's a it's a vampire movie at that and um it's hard because i don't just want to jump into spoilers but i i kind of have to so if you don't want direct spoilers, I kind of got to break the 10-year rule here about a couple of things. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but um, turn this off now if you are trying to watch this and don't want huge spoilers coming out of this. We find out that it's not just a vampire story, but it is a Dracula story that uh, Thomas Walter, or uh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> I say Thomas Walter, uh, the, Thomas Doherty is the actor, but Walter DeVille is actually Dracula. And this story is actually the tale of the brides of Dracula, because typically, as we've seen in popular culture, um, Dracula's uh, Dracula's home, you know, uh, is full with like the three brides. You know, they're always after Jonathan Harker, and you know, they end up getting slayed later on, and in, in like most of the adaptations and everything. And that's what the story is trying to tell: is that Dracula is trying to get his third bride, and that third bride happens to be Evie, and. A lot of the staples from Dracula are there. For example, uh, Sean Pertwee, uh, per, uh, Pertwee that plays Mr. Field. Well, Mr. Field, even though it's not revealed, can obviously be a short name for Renfield, who is very popularly Dracula's assistant. Uh, there's the Renfield movie that's coming out next year with Nicholas Holt and uh, uh, Nick Cage as well, too, as Dracula. <laughs> Two Nicholases. Don't even think about that. Um but then also we have the Harkers in the story as well too. Um, we surprisingly don't get any Van Helsings in this at all, which I found very interesting. But the film itself doesn't give us enough of this vampire story. And I think that was overall my biggest problem with it was that the first part of the story was actually really, really interesting. And I, I'm sure they could have added a few more like horrific or a few more scares to it to, to build more of that first part of the story up. But then when we switch gears and just dive right into the vampire stuff, there's just not enough time with it. There's not enough experiences with it at all. And it also doesn't really help that in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is the comparison I have to make, or even Dracula 2000, uh, Dracula himself is such a presence across those films that we don't 
mind the fact that there's not a lot of vampires in it. Like, this is not Blade. This is not The Lost Boys. You know, this is not Daybreakers. Any of those other uh, really popular vampire films that are out there. This is not those stories to where we have all these vampires and hunters and hunting them down or anything like that. And Bram Stoker's Dracula, even Dracula 2000, which I really enjoy, didn't have to do that because Dracula is such a commanding presence. And no offense in the least bit to Thomas Doherty because that good-looking man, that dude has the jawline for ages. Like, that is a handsome, handsome guy for sure. Bite me, whatever. I'm in. I am absolutely in for that. I will be the man bride of Dracula. But that's not that's not the thing. He doesn't get enough screen time, I almost feel. And I understand. It's Natalie Emanuel's story. This is Evie's story for sure. I have zero issues with that. But the problem is, is that I don't think the vampire elements live up when we don't get enough time with our you know potential villain. When we don't get enough time with his scheme and doing more Dracula type of things. And unlike Ready or Not, to where Ready or not, like, seems like it's confined, but when you really think about it, like, that house, that mansion that they're in, the grounds of it, that's gigantic. Here in the invitation, um, Car Carfax Abbey, because they are at Carfax Abbey, by the way, which is another pickup right away, again, from Dracula lore, um, it just doesn't seem as big as it should be. And it doesn't feel like I'm in a world of, like, Dracula and vampires at that point. And to that extent, I guess it seems realistic um, because some of the weaknesses that vampires have and all this other lore don't exist in this one, and that's fine. I think that's that's good to not do it, so it's kind of like it's a realistic vampire tale. But that also very much leaves you longing for more in this. Um, there's, there's some fun to it. Again, uh, I, I keep saying her name, but Natalie Emanuel is a fantastic actor. Uh, whether it's Game of Thrones, whether it's this, Fast and Furious, whatever now, I do think she has such a uh, captivating presence that when she's saying something, you, you really do feel there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of emotion behind what she does have to say. Everything is important. And most of the times throughout this movie where she's catching like red flags about the situation or she's standing up for the wait staff or anything, like you really, you really follow her. It's like, you know what? I'm convinced. I back you on, on your thoughts here for sure. Uh, but I would have either committed to that one story or maybe just like introduced the vampires a little bit earlier on. And that's not to say we don't get vampire stuff earlier on in the movie. It's just not enough. The balance wasn't there. It's like, you know, erotic thriller vampire. This was like the balance that we got out of that. And it just could have been handled just a little bit better in my opinion. But who knows? That's not for me to say. There is an R-rated version of this apparently out there um, that the, uh, the the director, Jessica Thompson, has said that she's hoping to release. Um, I don't know if that's the unrated version that I watched. I don't believe it is because not much of it seemed that different, honestly. So I'm hoping that means there's going to be the R-rated release of this sometime soon. and It'll add a little bit more into it. It's not bad. But you'll watch this and you're very much gonna gonna take a look at like Ready or Not and be like, yeah, I'd probably watch Ready or Not instead. That said though, this film did great in theaters on a $10 million budget. It made 30 million so far. Video sales are about to start coming out as well too. So it's honestly making good money, which is what we want for horror one way or the other. So people can take more chances on stories like these. So Check out The Invitation. It's available to rent and to purchase right now on most of your popular streaming platforms. Prime, Voodoo, Movies Anywhere. Go and check that one out, y'all. That's The Invitation.
Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30pm Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8pm Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like and share. My name is T, we've been talking scary movies, stay scared.